Welcome to Sierra Bible Church. As Amy mentioned, my name is Jesse. I'm part of the team here. Uh, we're in a series in the Gospel of Mark. So if you would go ahead and turn there to the Gospel of Mark. If you don't have a Bible, raise your hand. One of the ushers will let you use one of ours. If you don't own a Bible and you want to own one, feel free to take this. It's a gift to you. Uh, so thank you again for being here. A couple things uh, I'll mention in addition to what Abby mentioned. When you volunteer for Children's Church, you're not only ministering to the kids, you're ministering to Joe and Abby because they are so busy over there. They very rarely get to sit in on service together. And when they have uh, the right volunteers, they're able to come to church. So that's kind of a big deal. You're ministering to them as well. I was talking with someone else out on the deck about our children's program. And uh, they were saying how much they love serving over there. And if you don't know how to teach, that's okay. Abby's a teacher and she'll teach you how to teach. That's what teachers do. So she'll teach you how to teach. So even with that, though, it's like it's easy. It's fun. It, can, it may seem intimidating, but it's not. And one of the crazy things about it, when you, when you think about what's happening over there, like literally we have enough kids next door to be its own church. And so when you go serve over there, the, this is what the gal was telling me earlier. She said, uh, it's like it's almost like being introduced to another church. You go over there and you meet all these volunteers and there's all these kids and you see the heart of the church. And so it's a great uh, place definitely to serve. And then uh, one of the things that we are uh, uh, doing coming up August 13th, Saturday, August 13th, we're doing a training on evangelism. So we're going to come here in the morning on that Saturday, 9 a.m. want to encourage you to, to sign up on our app or on our webpage, which is where all the information is. You sign up there. We're going to train you how to share your faith. How do you, how do you let people know about Christ in, in a way that's not weird uh, or intrusive, but hopefully casual and, and somewhat normal? And then, and then we're, gonna, we're not only going to feed you breakfast and lunch, we're then also going to send you out into the community and, uh, and then come back and debrief, very much like the two-by-two two passage in Mark where they went out two-by-twos, did their thing, came back, shared, uh, and, then, and then grew in that. Now, what we're going to do up to that event is we're doing a prayer uh, evening every Thursday leading up to that event. So July 27th, um, August 4th, August 11th, and then the day of, we're encouraging those of you who maybe don't want to share your faith, we want to pray, pray. And Mick Dero is the connection for that. Uh, where's, where's Gabe? Is Gabe in here? Gabe, would you stand up for a minute? This is Gabe Dero. That's Mick Dero's son. If you want to find Mick, just look for an older version of Gabe. Okay? I'm right. I'm 100% correct. Okay. Uh, there's that. And then um, the—I feel like I was, gonna, I was supposed to mention something else. I will say this, too, in addition to the, the, uh, what Amy mentioned in regards to baptism. If you haven't been baptized yet and you want to be baptized in Donner Lake— uh, it's kind of a beautiful, it's a beautiful moment, beautiful day. As, as she mentioned, just contact the office and we'll get you signed up. Okay, Mark chapter 6. If you have the ability to this morning in, in the desire, the want to, the gusto, whatever you want to call it, would you stand with me please? And, and let's read from John, uh, Mark chapter 6, starting in verse 30. Uh, and then we will break this down this morning and I think be blessed by it. Chapter 6, verse 30. The apostles returned to Jesus and told him all that they had done and taught. And, said, and he said to them, Come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest for a while. For many were coming and going, and they had no leisure, not even to eat. And they, then they went away into the boat to a desolate place by themselves. Now many saw them going and recognized them, and they ran there on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. 
When he went ashore, he saw the great crowd, and he had compassion on them, because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. And when it grew late, his disciples came to him and said, This is a desolate place, and the hour is now late. Send them away to go into the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. But he answered them, You give them something to eat. And they said to him, Shall we go and buy 200 denarii worth of bread and give it to them to eat? And he said to them, How many loaves do you have? Go and see. When they found out, they said, Five and two fish. Then he commanded them to all sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups by hundreds and fifties, and taking five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven, said a blessing, broke the loaves, and gave them to the disciples to set before the people. And he divided the fish among them all, and they ate and were satisfied. And they took up twelve baskets full of broken pieces, and of the fish, and those who ate the loaves were five thousand men. This is your word, Lord, and we trust you for it. In Jesus' name the church said, Amen. Amen. Take a seat. Okay. So, <clears throat> this book is a book that, that moves rapidly. So if you've been here, you are familiar with the word immediately. You are familiar also with a, the, the typical structure of Mark. Uh, and that typical structure is the, um, the typical structure is like a sandwich. And so typically what would happen is, you, what happens in the book of Mark is you're introduced to a story the story is interrupted by another story that seems to not have anything to do with the current story it was in. Then you pick up on the story again. So by way of example, when, when we first started Mark chapter 6, if you wanted to look there, you can see that in chapter 6 in the beginning, Jesus extends his ministry. He extends his voice, the healings, the, the casting out of the demons. He extends that to the disciples he sends them out two by two. And as they go out by two by two, it's believed they were gone for at least maybe two weeks, maybe, maybe even a couple months. And these disciples go into all kinds of territories, all kinds of areas, areas, two by two, and they're sharing who Jesus is. They're sharing the message of repentance. It's the same message from John the Baptist. It's the same message that Jesus preached in the beginning. And so the disciples preach that message. After being gone, they, they come back to Jesus. That's where we pick up in verse 30. But in the beginning of chapter 6, remember again the sandwich structure. you got the two-by-two two being sent out. Then you are interrupted by the story of John the Baptist. John the Baptist enters in in chapter 6 again, and John the Baptist is beheaded, and he dies. Uh, Brad did a wonderful job last week, but just enter into the text. Remember something about John the Baptist. John the Baptist was probably only six months older than Jesus. If you remember, he is a relative of Jesus's. So when John the Baptist is in prison and he is beheaded, not only is it a sad story, it becomes even sadder under the realization that this man was probably 31, 32 years old. He's a young guy. We're interrupted by that story of death. We're interrupted with hearing from Herod. Remember, it was Herod Antipas who is requested by the woman he's having an affair with, he's committing adultery with. She requests, I want John the Baptist's head on a platter. And his head is served on a platter at a decadent party thrown by King Herod. And, and, and they're enjoying themselves in this place where they've experienced death. This is important. The story of John the Baptist is important 
and it isn't random, as nothing else in the Bible is random, and as nothing else definitely is not random in the book of Mark. In reality, what is occurring in this passage of the feeding of the 5,000, Jesus, through the Spirit, through Mark, through Peter, all of these individuals who played a role in writing this particular text, why is the story of Herod so important? Because Herod was a king. Herod throws a meal. He throws a party. It's rich. It's lavish. And then on the heels of that, the disciples come back. Verse 30, where we just started this morning. And now Jesus throws a meal. Jesus is having a meal. And his meal, where John the Baptist's head was served on a platter, where, where in Herod's meal, it leads to death. Jesus throws a meal, and it leads to life. Jesus is showing a contrast between himself and Herod, or if you would say, between himself and all of the other kings in the world. To bolster this argument so you are aware, the place on the Sea of Galilee where Jesus has traveled to, a, a well-known place where Roman, uh, the, the zealots, the Jewish zealots would hang out and hide. Uh, these were Jewish believers who were anti-Roman empire, people who wanted a new king. And so in this backdrop of an, a well-known, isolated place where, where zealots hide who want a new Roman empire, a, a new empire, hopefully led by God himself, Jesus finds himself in this particular area. All why? To share with the reality, I'm a better king than any earthly king there is. And when I feed you my meal, it leads to everlasting life. When other kings feed you, it leads to eternal damnation and death. Likewise, if you think of the connections, Jesus himself is the one who is laid on a platter on a cross on our behalf. The death of John the Baptist is just a preclude to the reality of Christ dying for us. And now in this particular moment, as the disciples have returned, they're returning literally to the dinner table of Jesus. They have spent themselves. They have been trained by Jesus. He has taught them verbally. He has shown them through action. He then sends them out. And surely as they were gone, they experienced great rejection. They probably experienced some tribulation, some hardships. They probably shook their feet and the dust off of their feet on many occasions to enter into a new territory. Surely they've also experienced wins and victories, people who have chosen to follow the Christ, and they come back and they return to Jesus and they share everything that they have experienced. I think it's a model for us. A model for us to be discipled by Christ, to be sent out by Christ, and then to rest with Christ. Uh, take this for a moment here. This is the first time in Mark where the disciples are called apostles. They once were called disciples, and a disciple is someone who follows their master and, and, and puts their life in accordance with their master, and then they now become apostles. What is this word? It's just kind of a fancy word for one sent out, or it's another way of saying missionary. I think this is the, the journey we all need to take to learn from Jesus, to rest with Jesus, and eventually to be an apostle for Jesus, and then to sit at Jesus' table with him. Now, as I read this text, that was the lens in which I, I kind of really looked at this particular text. What would it be like to have a meal with the Lord? What would it be like to enter into Jesus's home, to open up the door to his house, for him to have prepared a meal for you, and then to lay that meal on a table? and then to eat with you and to have a conversation with you. That, that is what we're seeing here. We're seeing a glimpse of what it would be like to have dinner with Christ. 
Now, I think all of us are well aware that fellowship and good times always revolve around food and drink. Praise God. Praise God. I had a tradition that my father set up for me while I was playing football. And it was a great tradition. I love this tradition. Back in the day, the buffet to go to was um, at, uh, uh, what's that place called? Gosh, I forgot again. Who was listening in the first service? What was it? Peppermill. Thank you for your help. The Peppermill was like the place to go. So my dad would take me and, and my family. We'd go to Peppermill. We'd go to the all-you-can-eat buffet, and they had all-you-can-eat prime rib. And I went back for prime rib seven times. Seven. Upon going, getting in the line for my prime rib, here I am. There's the gentleman who's been cutting my prime rib all evening uh, through his broken English as he's cutting my seventh slice of prime rib. He's cutting it. He looks at me. He goes, you, heart, boom. (laughs) I haven't learned my lesson. There's something about sitting down with food. There's, there's something that God has created in essence of, of, of just having mealtime and food time. And we get a pick. We get a peek, a peek at what it would be like. And the first thing we see, point number one that we see at Jesus' dinner table, the first thing we have to see as we enter into this text is that the first thing that one receives at the dinner table of Jesus is rest. Come to my table And come away with me for a little while, he says to the disciples. We see a few lessons within this particular point. The first is, is first of all, there is a time to work for Christ. Church, we must put our hands to the plow. The Bible literally tells us, pray for workers because the harvest is plentiful and the workers are few. And God has been gracious to Sierra Bible Church. 120 kids registered for VBS, 50 volunteers. That's amazing in our little community. And it requires people to spend of their time, to spend of their resources, to spend of their talents, to pour into the kingdom. We know there is a time to work. There's a time where we must put our hands to the plow. John 9 actually says it this way. This is Jesus. We must work the works of him who sent me. And we have to work while it is still day because night is coming when no one can work. Right? We must be busy. We live in this world that is broken, it's fractured, there's issues all over the place, and we have a message of reconciliation. We have a message of forgiveness. We have a message of grace. We have a message of compassion. We have a message that brings different people together and accepts those different people for who they are, regardless of how weird or broken they might be. This is the gospel. And we work hard in proclaiming the gospel. But... There is a time when we must draw ourselves away from the culture, away from social media, away from the cell phone, away from the pressures of the world to sit and rest with Christ. And that rest is both communal as well as in solitude. They go together. And Jesus says to them for a while, it's for a time period. I know you're all looking for perpetual vacation. It's not going to happen. Now picture this for a moment. Jesus has been, man, they're they're so busy, they can't eat. This is the second time that we've read this in the Gospel of Mark. That Jesus is so entrenched with people, and his disciples are so entrenched with people, 
that they're not even, they didn't even have time to eat. They're just all about the people. And so Jesus recognizes, man, it's been crazy. Ministry's been crazy. And the crowds are just pressing in around him. They can't eat. We're told here in the passage, 5,000 people end up on this side of the lake. It's an isolated place of the lake. It's not populated except for those zealots, as I mentioned. Now, I want you to imagine this for a moment. The, the, the language of the text is 5,000 men. The text is reading that what is being counted here are men only. This does not include the number of children. This not, does not include the number of women. Not only do we see that in the text, that's Jewish tradition. That's how they counted crowds. They just counted the men. So here you have 5,000 men. Translation, estimation, the right, correct number of people pushing closer to 20,000 people. Now, why is this amazing? Jesus is like, guys, you've been working hard. Let's go rest. Where are we going to go get rest? In the middle of the lake. I was in the middle of Donner yesterday. No rest to be had out there, by the way. Too many people. There's an opportunity for them to get away. And what happens? We don't know how the rumor starts, but someone goes, they're going. They're going to the other side again. They're going. Do you remember what happened last time he was on the other side? I heard something about pigs. I heard that too. Let's go. 20,000 people, it says, cut him off. They're running around the edge of the Sea of Galilee to get to Jesus. Okay, picture this for a moment. This is the entire town of Truckee traveling alongside of the Sea of Galilee to get to the Christ. This is a massive movement. This is an important passage. So important, it's the only miracle in all four Gospels. That are, that's mentioned. It's so important that it, the, at the end of this, it tells us in, in another one of the Gospels, they tried to take him away and make him king by force. But he won't have anything to do with it. Remember I told you the contrast back to Herod? The contrast of the zealots hiding out, wanting to overthrow Rome? And the people are getting the contrast. They want to take him away and make him king, but he will not do it. Because he wants to be king, but in a completely different way. Not in the world's way, not in Herod's way, not in Nero's way, because the church is under persecution under Nero at this time, but under his own way. And this miracle, as he brings them to the table and he gets them there, all of a sudden, these 20, 000, this 20,000 large crowd is all there on the beach, and Jesus pulls up, and what is his heart? I mean, it's expressed right there in the passage. He, he looks about the people. He sees all of them. And, and after, after he has taught them for a while, it gets late and he knows that they're hungry. And it tells us he sees these people as sheep without a shepherd. And he had compassion on them. This is point number two at Jesus' dinner table. Point one is you receive rest. Point two, you receive compassion. When you come to the Lord's table, Jesus gives us his compassion. And, and, and that word compassion literally means to provide a, a deep amount of sympathy or concern for someone. He's, he's concerned. The language goes further. Uh, the Bible, when it talks about deep-seated emotion, in America, we talk about it being in the heart, right? I, I love you. I love you. And we're like, feel our heart, you know? In Jewish tradition, it was like, I feel you. I love you. It's the kind of feeling that's in the pit of the stomach. It makes one maybe even a little nauseous. He, inside his guts, he feels for these people. It's a deep-rooted emotion. Has anyone ever been dumped before? You know exactly what I'm feeling. 
what I'm talking about there, right? Especially if you liked her. Allie dumped me in the, when we first were dating. She dumped me. She did. Look, she feels proud of herself. <laughs> it's the only time she ever rejected me. He feels for them. What's interesting about this word compassion, I think is really, really neat. This particular word for compassion is only used in regards to Jesus. It's as if the text is saying the only one who feels for you, the only one who deeply knows you and loves you and wants to care for your soul, the only one who really gets it, the only one who really gets you is the Christ. He's the one who has the compassion. Everyone longs to sit at this table to be fully known and fully accepted. That's the definition of love. Fully known and fully accepted. Nobody knows you fully and still loves you. Nobody knows your deep thoughts, your deep aches, your deep pains, your depression, as angry as you may get or don't get, as impatient as you are. No, 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 that's not the heart of Christ. The heart of Christ is he knows you and still loves you in the midst of that. Jesus was gripped with compassion for his people. That compassion is then expressed with a definition of Christ and a definition of humanity. That definition of Christ, he's the shepherd. We are the sheep. He says, I see them as sheep without a shepherd. What's really crazy about this particular word, remember this, this whole passage, what's the purpose of it? It's to show that Jesus is the better king. It's to show that Jesus is starting a revolution and he's gonna go out amongst the people with this new revolution, with this new message as a new king. That language that's used, sheep without a shepherd, comes from Numbers as well as several other places in the Old Testament. And what's interesting about that is every time it's used in the Old Testament, guess what it's pointing towards? The people of Israel are without a king who will lead them and who will guide them and will provide military power for them. So again, Jesus is saying outright now, I see these sheep as if they are without a shepherd. Translation, hey, hey, Jews, you remember when you're reading in the Old Testament? Remember where all the times I've talked about how, how when you don't have a king and you don't have a leader, you're like sheep without a shepherd? Oh, by the way, I am the shepherd of the sheep. And all of the sheep matter to Jesus. And Jesus desires to give rest to his sheep. Psalm 23, you familiar with that psalm? It's the most popular one about shepherd and, and sheep. The, the Lord is my shepherd. I, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. Does that sound like rest to you? This is the compassionate, restful table of Jesus. Come to my table. Come, come to me and, and eat well and, and fellowship well, and you will be like my sheep. Now, on the flip side of that, have you ever realized how unintelligent sheep really are? You know there's no such thing as a, a sheep that really knows how to provide for itself? You know, you know sheep have no defense mechanism. Have you ever seen the goats that fall down and go paralyzed? That's like as good as it gets. Like, what do you do to defend yourself against lions? I fall dead and I pretend I'm dead, right? Like, isn't that a horrible defense mechanism? Have you ever seen, I showed a while back a picture of a sheep that somehow escaped its shears for several years. Have you ever seen that picture? If you don't shave a sheep often, they turn into big, huge fluff balls. Like they've been eating at the Peppermill Buffet every opportunity they can get. Jesus is saying, I'm the shepherd. And notice, he draws them out into this desolate place. This is again, God pointing back to the Exodus. 
pointing back to the reality that, that God is the better Moses that will lead us out of the grips of Pharaoh, but here out of the grips of sin. And he draws us into the wilderness to be alone with him, to hear from him and to walk with him. God is in the business of taking you out into the woods. We live in a wonderful place for this. A wonderful place to isolate ourselves, to sit with the Lord, to pray to God, to pray for our church, to pray that we would be biblically sound, to pray for our kids next door, because we want to continue to pour into the next generation. I mean, I thought we were done with the baby boom. We've got eight more kids coming this year that I know of. Unless Sarah has twins, it's nine. Prophesy. <laughs> But Jesus' compassion at his table is nothing if it's not acted upon. Just as scripture tells us as Christians, faith without works is dead. It is not sufficient for Jesus to just have his heart go out towards the people. But my third point this this morning for for sitting at Jesus' table is he meets the need. You see, Jesus provides rest at his table. He provides compassion, and he provides provision. And the way he goes about it is is, is an important lesson for the disciples. I mean, imagine, just look at this conversation here. There are 20,000 people, and they're sitting there. And his compassion, by the way, leads to meeting needs. What is Jesus' first act of compassion? To teach them many things. The most compassionate thing a church can do, the most compassionate thing we can do is educate people in truth. The most compassionate, loving thing we can do in our society is to push back the lies and preach truth. Especially in our culture that doesn't believe in anything is true. You can be whatever you want. No, you can't. I'm sorry if you're hearing this for the first time. If someone has told you you can be anything you want, they lied to you. Okay, I wanted to dunk a basketball my whole life. Didn't happen, no matter how much I wanted it. I believed I could be all things. Didn't work out well for me. I also wanted hair in my 40s as well. That didn't work out either. I can't be a model. I can't be. There's just things you can't be. The, thing, the, the reason I'm, I'm pressing in on this is because at Jesus' table, and he gives you this new identity, you start to see God's character at the table. What Jesus wants is he just wants to use you for who you are. What does he say? This is what he says. Okay, Jesus, this is the disciples. It's getting late. This means the sun is going down. They've traveled. They've been walking. 20,000 people caravan. They're now on the shoreline. He's been teaching for a long while. They're probably a little hungry after, after sitting around and hearing Jesus speak on this grassy knoll. And the disciples, they've picked up on a couple things from Jesus. We've got to meet the need. Hey, Jesus, they're hungry. They're hungry. Their solution is all natural terms. We probably should not teach anymore. (laughs) Maybe we no longer do the Bible study, Jesus. And we close the church doors and we let them all go home so they can eat. They're apparently hungry. And Jesus' response is the same response to the church today, I believe. What is the response? You feed them. I kind of feel like that's probably how he said it. Lord, we got to do something. You do it. By the way, that's how you lead a church. Someone comes to you and says, I think we should do this. And you say, do it. You have a good idea? Don't come into the office and go, I got a good idea. You guys all should do this. 
Well, then we go sign up. You should sign up. Do you not like music? You don't like the music here? Better get on stage. There's a good chance people won't like you either. He asked them a question. Okay, guys, you're going to provide the need. What is it? And then they say, Lord, Lord, you're a funny guy. You're a funny guy. But we don't have enough denarii. Translation, we don't have enough money to go buy food for them. And the number that's listed here is equivalent to eight months of wages. To feed 20,000 people is going to require eight months of wages. We can't afford it. We can't do it. So Jesus says, go and take what you have. Go find out what you do. The other gospels tell tell us it was Philip. Philip is the guy who's doing the calculation and he's going, there's 20,000 people here. We don't have have enough. So they go and Jesus says, go out and find what you have. I will take what you have and I'll use it. And so they go out into the crowd and they find five loaves, two fish. You know what the other gospels tell us about the five loaves and the two fish? First of all, when you think loaves, don't think loaves. Think loaves. Think small, flat, cracker-like structure. And when you think of fish, don't think fish. Pickled fish. That's what they ate. And it tells us in the other Gospels that where they got this fish was a little boy's sack lunch. Basically, somehow, someway, mom was like, all right, Billy, you go follow Jesus to that other side. Let me get some fish for you and some crackers. Go get him, son. And this little kid is stoked out of his brain. Why? Because out of 20,000 people, he's the only one with food. He's the only one who had enough forethought to be like, you know what? It's going to be a long journey. I might get hungry. So they show up with this traditional Jewish meal. And they take this little boy's sack lunch. I could only imagine the conversation. The Lord needs it. (laughs) And they bring it back to Jesus. And Jesus takes the loaves and he breaks it. And he probably prays the traditional Jewish prayer of blessing. And they begin to hand out the bread and it begins to multiply in what way we don't know. We just know that it's a miracle and it's a big miracle because it's only, in, it's only the only one mentioned in all four gospels. It's, it's important. They survey the crowd. They find this young boy's lunch. And they bring it back to Jesus. And the response of the disciples in John chapter 6, verse 9, in its story is really clear. We found these five loaves and two fish, but what are they for so many? Jesus goes on and he continues to instruct his disciples, who are now his apostles, his sent out ones. And he tells them, sit them in groups of fifties and hundreds. And they do. And the fifties and hundreds, just so you know, that number of groups is is going all the way back to when Moses was called to do the same thing for the people of Israel. Sit them in groups of fifties and hundreds. And and so he does this and he feeds them. Here's, Here's another crazy thought here though. Another interesting tidbit that's lost in the translation of the original language. There's two words for groups. If you're looking at the text, you'll see they're, they're almost back to back. And the word groups, the language there is different. And the first one, it's organized. It's like, they're, get them organized. And he says, and they sat them in groups. The second word, the Greek word there is parisia. And that Greek word is the word that the Jews used specifically, listen carefully now, specifically for guard, the garden beds of leeks. 
You can see its connection in the original language to leeks. You know what a leek is? Anyone know what a leek is? It's like an onion. They, they need a lot of hydration. They need to be organized well in rows. It needs to be watered very well. And so what you would have seen, if you would have seen this desolate place, this, let, let, let's call it in Truckee, MacGyver's Farm. You know MacGyver's Farm? Does anyone know what MacGyver's Farm is? See, if you only know these things if you're an OG like me in Truckee, growing up in the woods. I'm an OG. That's Ski Mountain. You know for Ski Mountain? You know where all the tourists go? And they, they, they sled down the hill, sled mountain. And they, you, know, you know what I'm talking about now? You know where all the tourists go to go sledding. I'm just setting the scene here, okay? I'm not, don't get upset with me about it. Imagine you go up, the, there's 20,000 people just shoved into that place. And what you would have seen is, first of all, the text tells us it's important. They want us to understand. They want us to know the grass is very green. So the story is most likely pushing near towards when the Sabbath is, is not the Sabbath, the, um, uh, the Passover celebrated. So it's either early spring or late fall. So it's, it's fertile. And then you have this language that says they sat them in, in groups, leek beds, garden beds, and you would have looked and you would have seen the people perfectly lined up in rows. They would have been organized. And if one was walking, they would have thought to themselves, my, that looks like a fertile garden bed. From a distance, you'd have seen this, the green grass and you'd have seen people lined up just like they were perfectly lined crops to be watered. What's the translation of what Jesus is trying to say here? He's trying to let them know, I'm going to feed you. I'm going to water you. And this is a picture of heaven. It's going to blossom and be beautiful. Now, what's really interesting is the same word is used in Numbers chapter 11, verse 5. Now, those of you who know that I'm a, a big carnivore, right? You heard the whole prime rib story. You know that I've always made a big deal out of, out of when the people of Israel were brought out of Egypt and they entered into the promised land or towards the promised land and they were, they, they were without all of their creature comforts. You'll remember they said to themselves, greatest line in the Bible, at least in Egypt, we had meat pots. Do you remember that? A mokahete. Anyone know what a mokahete is? You can Google it later. Don't Google it now. I'll be offended because I won't think you're listening to me. It's, it's just a bowl of hot meat. That's what mokahete is. That's cooked in a lava rock. And, and as they're coming together, what am I trying to say? What was I saying? I got so stuck in meat pots. I got it. I got back to there. Meat pots, vegetables, leeks. So here, here's just so my vegetarian friends can get back at me. Numbers 11, chapter 5, the people complain not only of meat pots, not only of fish, they also complain in the promised land, they don't have leeks. We don't have fish and we don't have leeks. Right, so you can't say the people of Israel were only meat eaters because in Egypt they said we also had cucumbers, we also had melons, we also had onions and garlic. And oh, how we miss the leeks. That's what they said. And then Jesus uses a word that echoes them back to, oh, wait a minute. God's going to provide for us even the leeks and the bread. And by the way, who is the picture of the bread? I am the bread of life, Jesus will say. I am the one that you will consume, that you can eat on. And so they're sat around, they're, they're, they're lined up in these 
perfect rose. And what's the big takeaway for the disciples in this moment of meeting needs? The only thing they can do is act in obedience. And my friends, that's exactly what God's looking for from his church. I mean, we say, how do I change the kingdom? How do I change the world? Can I, can I just start digging further? How do you parent well? How do you have a successful marriage? How do you ensure your business is run in a way that will not only honor God, but God will honor your business? Be obedient to the Lord. I mean, Jesus pours his life out to us. He gives us everything. And then he says, those who love me will obey me. Do your part in obedience. But Lord, I'm not well, that's okay. Someone who listened to the message earlier, they were saying, I said uh, to them, they were telling me, all the things they, because they listened to the sermon uh, online this morning, and then they got here for the second service, and, and, and she was talking about children's church, and she just, she was just unloading on how great our children's program is, and she was doing such a good job selling me our kids' program, that I was like, you got to get up there and share this story for the church, and she said, I can't, because I'll throw up. Like, like, literally, she said she'll, she'll open up her dress and throw up down her, which I was like, yeah, we probably don't want to do that on a Sunday. Well, will forego you being on stage, right? The point being is she was saying, I felt, you know, in many ways, as I said, get up and speak, share. And she's like, I'm like Moses. I can't speak. And I mean, isn't that, isn't that how all of us are? We're like Moses. Hey, Lord, I can't speak. God, I don't know enough. If the Lord knew what was going on in my heart, if the Lord knew what I was thinking, if the Lord knew what I wrestled with last week or, or the week before, God wants to take whatever it is you have and he wants to multiply it. Your job is to be obedient with it. It's God's job, it's God's job to grow it. I, I had a young married couple, just got married. They came to me and they said, hey, listen, we're not tithing at all yet. And, and we want to talk to you about tithing. What does tithing mean? And, and we don't know if we can give 10%. And we got into this whole conversation because they didn't know what it meant to give to the church. And I just said, you know what? At the end of the day, I'm not, I could give you a whole lesson on 10%. I can give you a whole lesson on why God says a tenth is good. But, but at the end of the day, all I think is that matters is for you and your husband to get together, pray about what you think God wants you to give to the church. It could be $5. It could be $10. Just start somewhere. Put it in the box and watch what God will do in your life. And because it is a challenge. God literally like challenges. Do this and see what happens. See what I'll do. And the reality is if you put five bucks, 500 bucks, $5,000 or $5 million, God is the one who multiplies that. And we're able to stretch the dollar here. I mean, the things that we're able to do at our church are incredible. We didn't charge a dime for VBS. Why? Because you're generous. And we want people to see that, that grace is free. It costs something to Jesus, but it's free to give. Can I tell you another really cool story? Oh, can't help it. Can't help it. I'm going to tell you anyway. I'm going to tell you anyway. So this building has not been, as you know, hasn't been painted or updated forever. So we pulled the trigger. Needed to be done. The wood was starting to get bad. The building, we needed, we needed to dial this place in. So Joe Casey, he's the new finance guy. So he gets to go out and find his own vendors. And he gets to find out how to, you know, he's all excited about this stuff. He goes, reaches out. And you guys probably saw the sign out front because they put it out there. So, so you'll know who did the painting. You know, I don't know why it's out there, but it's out there. And you can see who painted it. I'm not going to tell you who painted it because I don't want to do free advertising for people. This guy paints the building, right? He gets his crew here. They're plugging away. Nice guy. Hispanic guy. Runs his own business. Big Hispanic crew. Worked for two weeks. Did a great job. Love him. Appreciate him. 
You know what was the coolest thing about that? I think two, at least the owner, and I think one other one, one of the other owners, brought their kids to VBS last week. Come on. Come on. I love that stuff. Come to the table and eat freely. And and, and this is the message that Jesus wants to point at the table because it tells us they ate until they're satisfied. Original language, they ate seven pieces of prime rib. They are full. The word here is better, better translated. They ate until they were gorged. Now, what's so incredible about this, again, the contrast. Last passage, Herod, a false king and a false party, a decadent party filled with rich people, filled with good food, a party that leads to John the the Baptist's death. His head is served on a platter to this contrast of King Jesus feeding a peasant's meal to his people, but pointing to eternal life, pointing to a a revolution, not with guns, but starting with feeding people. I mean, it's quite, quite incredible what Jesus is doing here. And I want you to just think of this for a moment because I didn't think about this until I was reading it this week because I thought to myself, okay, there's a definite contrast here and I'm wrestling through like what this means. And in my mind, I'm thinking, I'm thinking, okay, what about that meal with Herod and the meal with Jesus? And, and what would it be like to hang out with all these rich folk who are having really good food? But then you're hanging out with Jesus who had nowhere to lay his head and you're eating, literally, it's a peasant's meal, fish and crackers. But my friends... This is completely uncursed, unstained, handmade, heaven-made food from Christ himself. When you sit at the Lord's table and you eat and you partake, God gives you the best of the best. And I guarantee you that those who walked away from that meal had never had a better fish or a better cracker in their lives because it was made by the hands of the Lord. The Bible actually tells us that when we lose this body, we will be made like him. You know you're going to receive a new body. Jesus' new body and being made like him. If you remember his first time we see Jesus resurrected, he's eating fish on the beach. Oh, thank you, Lord. There's going to be food in heaven. And it's not going to make you fat. And it's not going to make your heart go boom. And it's not going to give you cancer. It's it's to give you life. And here's what I love. You do your part. Okay, we've got to meet the need. Church, we have to meet the need. You do your part. Jesus is always faithful to do his part. And multiply whatever it is that you do. And not only will he multiply it, he'll ensure there's always something left over. What's left over? Twelve baskets. That's interesting. How many apostles are there? How many disciples are here on the scene? Twelve. I told Allie this years ago that God spoke to me in his own way. Jesse, if you will continue to take care of Sierra Bible Church, I promise you that Sierra Bible Church will continue to take care of you. And I see this picture in the leadership of Jesus. I'll provide for you, my disciples. You go do your part. Whatever your talent is, it's art, it's music, it's serving kids, it's giving, it's praying, whatever role you play, go do it. Provide. 
And just like when I sent you out two by two, don't worry about the second tunic. Don't worry about your sack lunch. Don't worry about your change of clothes. Don't worry about what you're going to wear. Don't worry about what you're going to eat. You don't even worry about where you're going to go. Just go, and I promise you, I promise you, I will take care of you. Some of you just need to hear that in this season. That Jesus has invited you to the table to feed you, to care for you, to take away your anxiety, to give you rest, to give you compassion. And he wants you to know, just keep serving me. I promise I'll take care of you. How many of you, and you don't have to show your hands, but how many of you have walked with the Lord over a span of at least 20 years and you can look back on 20 years and see multiple occasions where it looked like the world was going to fall apart and Jesus showed up at the right minute, at the right time, and he provided well and he provided abundantly. We had Zach and, not Zach, uh, Nick and Laura up here with their little baby and they'd been trying to have kids for so long they finally have a child. God's provided well. That's just one little instance. God provides as he sees fit. And the, 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 the way he does it is always the same. He's going to teach you. He's going to organize you. And he's going to speak to you. And he's going to feed you. And he's going to provide for you. And he's going to do it way better than you can do it on your own. Jesus is better at taking care of you than you are at taking care of you. But the invitation is for you to come to the table. And as I close and we get ready to sing, that's what I want to leave you with. Come and eat of the Lord. Taste and see that he is good. Come and sit with the table, at the table with Christ and with other fellow believers. Allie and I, uh, there's a couple in our church. We went and had dinner with them last night. It's the first time we got a chance to hang out with them and you know, we didn't know them all that well. They don't really know us all that well. And, and just because we have this connection with Jesus, it's an immediate time of fellowship, an immediate time of, of, of coming together. And those of you who've experienced it, you know what I'm talking about. And, and we just did this hodgepodge dinner at their house, just a, a spur of the moment thing, just some chicken, some pizza, and some hot dogs, just a, a regular old buffet. And it didn't matter what the food was. It was about the company. You remember the, uh, there's a, a, a wonderful scene. I'll close with this, I promise. There's a um, wonderful scene in a, in a, a show called um, Drinking Coffee in Cars with Comedians. And I can't remember the, Jerry Seinfeld, he does the whole deal. He's riding along with some uber rich guy. I can't remember who the uber rich guy is. And they're in these uber rich, uber nice vehicles. And the guy he brought, he's like, what do you think of this car? This is so great. I have this car, awesome. It's X amount of dollars. It's a... And, and the guy said, yeah, I don't care. He's like, what do you mean? This is a nice car. He goes, yeah, but you know what? We can have the same conversation in this car or in a, in a Subaru or in a whatever. I don't care. I don't care what we're in. I'm here for the conversation. And this is Jesus. We're outside. I'm here for the conversation. I'm here for the fellowship. And to be honest with you, that's why I can't help but come every Sunday. I'm here for the people. I'm here for the church. Who cares if something magical happens or not? This is magical. The fact we're all in one room. And we're all broken. And we all have different backgrounds. And God brings us together that we can sit and eat with him. And I'm thankful that God provides well at his dinner table. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for today. And Lord, thank you for the problems we have at this church. For Lord, they are problems, as someone mentioned today, of, of, of growth. Lord, you are bringing people to salvation 
And we thank you for that. Lord, you're sanctifying your saints. We thank you for that. Lord, you're bringing new people here all the time, and we thank you for that. In the midst of economic crisis, Lord, you've provided well for us and the staff, and I pray, Lord, you will continue to do that. But Lord, may we leave here as we all are about to go and leave this place and eat. Lord, would we keep this message in mind that that you are the best meal that one could ever have and you provide well. May we follow you with all of our heart strength and trust you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.